No? Okay. Pregnant pause. Good. So, uh, Father God, we thank you that we have an opportunity to look at your word. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be our teacher. And God, regardless of what comes out of my mouth, may it be that what is heard and what we read and what we encounter is your message for each of us individually. God, I believe that you have something specific to say, and I ask you to quicken our hearts and our minds to receive it. And Lord, whatever it is that you do speak, God, I ask that it would cling to us and it would remain with us until we're transformed by it. God, if there's anything that I say that is out of line with your word or out of line with your character or apart from what your message is, God, I ask that it would be removed from our minds, removed from the space and forgotten immediately. So that which remains is that which has substance and power. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, over the last few days, I was pretty sure that we were going to be looking at James chapter 2, but we're not. Um, I'm going to actually, I'm going to share a a little short little thing that's not really a teaching, but it's uh, an example. And then after that, then we're going to look at Colossians 3 because uh, a friend pointed that out to me and it has life. And that's where we go. I'm always looking for the thing that has life. There's a, it's like God has a, it's not like, well, it's not like writing in the sky, but it's something you sense inside when you touch something or someone says a word and it just goes, there's a spark. Anybody recognize that? Am I totally? Yeah. Starla knows me and Starla. We got it. Give me a high five. That's good. Me and Starla know what we're talking about. Anybody else? Just there, where there's just kind of a spark on something, it just catches your eye. Yeah. Okay. Anita's got that. So, um, so t- sometimes that's what we're, and actually all the time, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the thing because there's so many times when, in fact, there've been a lot of times when I've spent huge amounts of time preparing a message, and then God says, maybe some other time, we've got something else. And so, uh, and so here. Um, are two things that I think have some have some life on them. So number one is is uh, actually this very morning. I woke up this morning and I'd had a dream, and so I believe based um, what I see in Scripture that God speaks in dreams. That doesn't mean that every dream that you have is a God dream, right? We all know that we've had dreams that are not from God. Sometimes we call them nightmares. Sometimes they're just bad pizza. We just know that we have dreams. It's something that our brains do, and it's not always God. But we have biblical evidence and personal experience that says that sometimes it is God. And it's important for us to begin to recognize that when it comes. So, so what are some, just off the top of your head, dreams in the Bible that we know were God dreams? Call them out. Joseph, he had, he had quite a, fa- a lot of dreams that were touched him. And both dreams he had and dreams that other people had that he interpreted, right? So any other examples? Daniel, yep, that's right. Man, that was Daniel chapter 4. Dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Not, uh, I think there's other dreams though too, right? There's, but that one, that one, the the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, that one has shaped my life actually quite a lot. Um, any others? What's that? Peter. He had uh, he had a vision. Yeah, it was a vision. That's all right. We can we, we'll be very broad. God communicates in in pictures and visions and dreams. That's also very biblical. So anyway, there we have it. So here's this dream, and this is I'm sharing this not as a word for you. Because I don't know that it is, unless the Lord marks that. The reason why I'm speaking this out is because I'm speaking out as an example of what, it lo- what the experience looks like for me. And so uh, I'm going to explain what you're going to hear, and then I'll just summarize the dream. I'm not going to give you lots of details. So it was a dream about my daughter, Winnie. And, uh, and I believe that God speaks in many ways. And I'll just read my notes here. The Bible gives examples and principles about how he speaks 
but I don't believe the Bible limits how he's going to speak. It gives us examples of how he speaks. It shows us his character and the way he goes about it, but it doesn't say God will only do this. He does things in lots of ways. And so, and I believe um, that the dream that I had is from the Lord, and here's why. Number one, it gave me information about how to love my daughter and how to protect her. It was valuable, it's strategic, and it's going to shape how I parent her in this season. Number one. Number two, justice, mercy, compassion, truth, and unity, as well as love, were all evident in this dream. These are characters of God. This is, uh, includes fruits of the Spirit. This is the stuff that God's about, right? And so if you have a dream that's not a God dream, it has some of the not those things in it. But I saw, again, justice, mercy, compassion, truth, unity, and love in that dream. Okay, next, I experienced this dream like other dreams that I believe are also from the Lord. And so there's a certain flavor when I have dreams, and I have just lots of dreams just like anybody, but there's a certain flavor that feels like it's God marking this, like, this is me. And so when I have a dream that has that flavor, and I'll describe that, I pay a little bit more attention. And so uh, in this case, it had very, for me personally, this isn't going to be the same for everybody. So I'm, I'm describing my experience. This is not rules. Um, so it had ex- very, very vivid color. It had a very clear focus about what it was about. And it reflected God's character. Those are things that significant. So, and even with that, I would still go back and we still go back and say, God, is this you, right? We always ask, God, is this you? God, is this you? Because there's always room. And so here's the, I'll just give you just a summary. In the dream, uh, Winnie was caught in a repeating impossible situation. And so I was, and what happened is I was talking with her as I was dropping her off for a class. She was going to school and, and I was talking with her, spending time with my daughter. I loved being with her and I was talking with her. But because I was talking with her, I made her late for class. And apparently this happened a lot. And so she, um, as soon as, as she would uh, bolt off to her class, the very moment I let her go, and I was bothered that I had this precious time with my daughter, and as soon as I even gave her the breath of maybe it's okay to undergo, boom, she's gone. She didn't say goodbye. She didn't say, I'll miss you. She just bolted and ran for class, and I was a little bit bothered. I thought I trained my children better than this to be polite and say goodbye. But in this one, I realized, I heard in, in dreams, there's the knowing. She went into her classroom and moments later she was in trouble. And in my mind's eye, I saw a picture of Winnie with tears. And my heart broke. And I thought, uh-oh, what's going on? And then I realized that I had made her late for class. And she was in trouble for being, in, being late for class. So then I went straight to the Uh, the school office and i said i would like to please right now have a conversation with that teacher the teacher was brought out immediately and it was it was a hispanic man a few inches shorter than me a little bit stocky and he had very kind eyes and he came out and i immediately knew two things about him he told me he says i was in the air force for like 20 years or something and he says and i love discipline and one of the things i'm trying to train children is to be disciplined and to be ordered And the other thing I could immediately say about him is that he had a tender heart for children. He was not a cruel person. He was a kind person. He had a tender heart. And then so then in a very short time, we immediately understood what was going on. I was loving my daughter, holding her close. 
but I was making her late for class. He was trying to teach her discipline at the other end, and she was getting in trouble. I was bothered because she was bolting away from me because she was scared that she was going to get in trouble, and I didn't know it. And then the teacher at the other hand was receiving her, saying, this little girl is getting distracted, and she needs to show up to class on time. And my sweet little girl, this is a dream. It's not real, right? Yeah. My sweet little girl in that dream was put in an impossible situation where she was trying to honor me, and she was trying to honor this other demand, and neither of us knew it. And so I find, so this morning I go, to a, uh, I go to Winnie and I ask her, sweet girl, are there any times when, when you feel like you're trying to do the right thing and you get in trouble anyway? And she said, yes. And so this dream is going to stir, number one, chant me to ask better questions because this whole situation, it's a dream. It's not real. I, she doesn't have a teacher like that. She's not going to school like that. It's not like that. And yet, I believe God is showing me something to watch for. And if I can find the principle at work in her life, I can apply it across all of my children and in every relationship. And so here's, um, so I'm just, the whole point of this is just to say, I believe God speaks in dreams. And this is an example of very, a small way of how I feel like it, it, it's worked in my life um, now, this morning. So as of this morning, I have already had conversations with Winnie and I will be watching my relationship with her and seeing to make sure that she doesn't end up in an impossible situation where she has this demand and she tries to obey and then she gets in trouble because she's trying to obey. And See that? Has anybody ever been in a situation like that? Where you feel like you're trying to make this side happy and you're trying to make this side happy and neither of the sides are talking and nobody cares and you're just smashed in the middle? Yeah, I don't believe that's God's heart. God is a God who loves justice. He loves compassion, loves truth, and he loves unity. And when in the dream, when this is exposed, immediately we said, nope, we're going to make it different. And so we did. Okay, there we go. So we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3. And uh, so you can turn there if you would like. Um, and so Colossians comes after, I'm going to look, right after Philippians. And, uh, and this is one of the, the letters of Paul. And, uh, and so what we're going to do is uh, we're just going to look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And I'm just going to make a couple of observations about this. And I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak because God has got a message. And there's, a, there's just a couple pieces that are significant. However, so my hope is that you'll have a renewed vision that God truly does change us into a new creation and that our walk with Jesus should be marked with tangible, observable growth. So um, that's if you walk away with something like that, I'll feel like I accomplished what I imagine. But if you walk away with something different, I'm trusting that you're walking away with what God has for you, right? Because this is bigger than me. So first I'm going to read this passage and then we're going to walk back through and I'll just make a couple of observations. So uh, if, if your Bible sounds different, it's because you're not reading a New American Standard. Your Bible is still a good Bible. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ... Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, 
which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman. But Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, that the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen. And so, oh my word, like that could last us about a year. There's so much buried in that this sermon will not last a year it is okay that's so my my point is is that i'm just going to hit a couple of things that stood out to me as relevant right now and i'm sure that there's other things that probably you have already seen that might relate to where we are as a nation and what's going on but uh very verse one and verse one and two therefore if you've been raised up with christ keep seeking the things above where christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. So one of the things that we're called to as believers, if we belong to Jesus, we're invited to be a citizen of a different kingdom. Right? It doesn't... uh, Paul, we know, right? He was a Roman citizen that had high value. It was good. It was something that he leveraged. It was important, right? But his primary citizenship was in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God. That's true for us. As believers, our primary citizenship is part of a kingdom that's not on earth. And so we have this invitation, it says, to set our mind, set our thoughts, our hope on this kingdom that is not this tangible, physical thing around us. But it's built around the hearts of people, right? And it's built on the foundation of Jesus. He's the chief cornerstone. And so it's an invitation of where our focus is and where our heart is and where our priorities are. I won't belabor it any further. Verse 3, it says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I thought it was interesting. One, for this, I, what it, one thing that jumped out to me is hidden. Here it says, your, You have died and your life is hidden with Christ. It was interesting that it says hidden. When I looked up the Greek word, it says it means to escape notice. So your life, When you are in Christ, the way he's called us to be, your life will escape notice. I don't believe this means insignificant or not influential, because if you look at everybody else in the Bible, including Paul himself, he made ripples. 
He made waves. He made tsunamis in his culture and throughout time. So clearly that's not. It's not saying that you're going to disappear and you're not going to matter. But it says in Christ. And it says if something's hidden in that manner, it's wrapped up in the other thing in such a manner that you hardly even notice that it's there. And so as I was reading that, I was realizing what it is, is when I myself, when Daniel is wrapped up in Jesus, so that the, the, the Daniel is not really distinct from Jesus. I don't lose my identity. What happens is all of the things that are ungodly are removed from me and from us such that my character matches the character of Jesus and I actually become what he created me to be in the first place. Right? Because at the very beginning, God has a plan for you and he created you to be powerful and clean and creative and smart and gorgeous or tough, right? Whatever you want to be, you choose, right? God has, he has good intentions. He's a creative, good God. And so the, the nasty stuff, like if you have a really nasty temper, that's not God. That's part of the stuff that we get to lay aside and let him remove from us. And when we're hidden in Christ and wrapped in Jesus, then, then that part starts to fade and, and it becomes small. And when we're truly wrapped in him, that part of that being hidden is, is that those whatever remains of us is so wrapped in Jesus that it doesn't come out. Right? I thought that was beautiful. We'll jump down to verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. So consider yourself dead to these things. And so what I would point at is this is more than just wishful thinking, because I don't know about you, but in the Christian culture that I've grown up in and in the Christian culture that exists, I hear an awful lot of language that suggests that we are literally just hanging on by the skin of our teeth, by our fingernails. We're just holding on to faith and we're so dirty and so putrid and so awful. And we just need to cling to survival until we finally die, thank God, and we get to be made right and get to go to heaven where everything's going to be awesome, right? And we jump into the Lego movie. Everything is awesome, right? And then it's just like that. Okay, so, but, but the thing is, is Paul is right here. He's saying, consider yourself dead to these things, not in the future, right now. And I believe that is fully within our call as people who belong to Jesus Christ that we would be dead to these things. That we wouldn't be full of this stuff. It wouldn't be characterizing our life. And when it says when we're wrapped up, when we're hidden in Christ, we really would look like Jesus. That we don't spend all of our life just just clinging on. Because He makes us pure. He makes us saints. It doesn't mean we don't struggle with sin. That's not what I'm saying. We do. That doesn't need to be the dominant thing in our life. Why in the world would anybody come to Jesus if we don't look like him at all? Right? Why would we come to Jesus if we don't look like him at all? Right? If there's not something, that's a problem. And so, so this is more than just wishful thinking. Paul points at a choice and not a choice that is futile. He's pointing at a way of being that we as Christians are tempted to dismiss as impossible while in this life, but it's not. We really are being transformed, and if we're not being transformed, then we're missing out on something that God has for us. And so are the people around us. 
So there's a, a lady, her name is Ruth Haley Barton. She writes some really beautiful books. Um, but one of her statements, she says, the best thing a leader can ever do and bring into leadership is their own transforming self. As in, if someone's going to be leading in the kingdom of God, the most powerful thing they can do is allow God to continue to change them, to continue to surrender, to continue to lay down pride, to continue to lay down foolishness or, or unbelief or, or whatever it is, and continue to God to complete and push into the work that he's doing in their life, right? That's really good. Is that good? Yeah? Okay, good. But, um, but, there, but, but the thing is, is we need to remove the distinction of who's leading and who's not from our culture. Because from when we look at the church, I don't know what you do, but as a, we have a tendency to look at the church through organizational filters. That's Western civilization. That's not the Bible. The Bible describes the church in terms of family and relationship as parenting. It's a very different sort of thing. And so um, I'm not like organization isn't bad. They're really good tools and we see them and it's described in scripture. It's not like an evil thing, except that we need to remember our identity is in Christ and our functionality is as a family. It's a different it's a different sort of way of being. And so. uh, um, And when that's where that last thing is in the people around us, and that is your victory when you are transformed by Jesus you're the first person to get the benefit, but then everybody else around you gets the benefit too. And so the same thing, another way to think of the same thing is, is like when you win the battle, then the people around you win the same battle because you just won it for them. So for example, if, uh, if there's, what do we talk? Let's see. Um, let's see. We'll just grab something. One of these lists of bad things. Uh, it's not even there, but we'll choose bitterness. So so let's say if, if bitterness is something that's in, like something that you've embraced, it's part of your life. And so um, if we have bitterness within us, when we are set free and we are no longer carrying bitterness and it is gone, every person in your life gets to touch sweetness that they didn't have before. Right? Can you see how this is? Your victory is not about you. You're the first person to taste it. Good for you. That's awesome. Bless you. Keep it. It's good. It really is a good but the thing is, is it's really about the people around you. Those are the people who get to experience the victory as well. So your victory and your transformation is not just about you. Okay, here we go. Verse 7. And in them you also once walked. This is the list of all these bad things. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. And so the whole idea of like living in something, when you're living in this stuff, and this is the flavor of your life, that's very, very different than when someone has committed their life to Jesus and, and you slide off the trail sometimes and end up finding yourself like, wow, that really hit me sideways and I'm a little bit angry or that really just uh, hurt my feelings or, or that really offended me or that is really attractive to me and I know it shouldn't be or whatever, whatever the it is. There's a difference between walking in something and when someone slides off the trail and repents and gets back on the trail, right? In uh, Galatians chapter 5, it's described as those um, who practice the deeds of the flesh because you're going to get better at them because that's the goal versus those who are going to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Different. And so for us as believers, these things are no longer normal. They're supposed to be the exception. And if they are normal, we have some repenting to do and some freedom to get. Amen? Amen? Because we're supposed to be transformed. 
is supposed to be a real thing. This is not just neat ideas. Verse 10. After that says, and have, uh, um, I'll verse, jump in verse 9. Do not lie to one another since you've laid aside the old self and its evil practices and have put on a new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A new, a new self. A new self. A new self. So there's a phrase that God put in my mind a few years ago, three, four years ago at least. But he said the thing about being different is that it's not, the thing about different is that it's not the same. That might be really feel a little bit redundant, um, but it's redundant on purpose. The thing about different is that it's not the same. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times when I want something that's different. We could turn this off, couldn't we? There is a power switch right there. Just turn the whole TV off. <laughs> um, the thing about different is that it's not the same. And so I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times when I want something that's different, but I'm not willing to, to leave the thing that's the same. Right? Is that really anybody? Right? Change is hard. And we can be honest about that. Change is hard. And yet when God gives us a new self and a new identity to walk in, that's different, which means that we'll feel different. It will look different. We'll do something different than what we did last week. That's hard, but he'll enable us to do it. And I want to, I just, it's helpful to think about that and know that different isn't the same. So if we're continuing in the same way and we know we need to be different, we're not being different, right? Okay, enough redundancy. I'm going to jump all the way down to verse 16. I'm going to share a couple of thoughts there and we'll close. So verse 16 as he's continuing on, actually, I'll stop, jump in with verse 15. So it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. And then he expands on that. He says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. And I'll pause there. There's a couple of in interesting things in this particular passage. Number one, it says um, uh, the word of God. So it says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Word. Okay, this is probably one of the Greek words that almost everybody knows. Maybe if you don't, anybody know Greek word for word? Okay. Logos. Woohoo! Arlene, thousand points for you today. That's good. So, logos. And so, this is like the same suffix you'll find in words like biology, paleontology, other ologies, right? And it has to do with knowledge, words, and stuff. But the original Greek word specifically points at the spoken word. Not just knowledge, and not so much written word, but spoken word. And that stands out because the other most famous place where this word is used in Scripture is in the beginning of the Gospel of John. And in the beginning of the Gospel of John, it says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then it goes on to describe how Jesus is the Word, the living Word. And so when I look at my, my lexicon, it says that the, the, the word logos, it says this is, it's the same word from John 1. And it says it is a spoken word and specifically a word spoken by a living person. It is an active, living voice 
from someone that we are to experience or hear. And so here in verse 16, it says, let the word of Christ, the active, alive, right now, living person voice, richly dwell inside of you. And so I believe what I'm seeing here is that this is saying there's a desire that the word of God, the voice of God would be inside of you speaking. Kind of cool. Right now, current, today. <clears throat> so, and that's, that's a distinction from this. This is the written word of God. This is the word of God. This is important. We don't walk away from this. This is really, really, really important. Because this is the record of the word of God spoken throughout history, right? This is, there's, there's so much here. And so this is also the measuring stick against we can always hold up. If you hear something, if you sense something, we go back here to our measuring stick, something we know is reliable, and say, okay, is this God? Is this not God? Because God says, I don't change. My character doesn't change. He's going to be the same. And so if he's going to speak something and it's going to come, you're going to hear the voice of God. The voice of God is going to be consistent with what he's already said. Right? True? Okay, good. But I think it's noteworthy that he is actually saying we're to have an active, living, today, voice of a living person speaking within us. And it's not your voice. Right? Can you know, like, we all have our voice, and I, like, talk inside of myself, and there's times when it's really clear that's not God talking? Okay? Okay? And so, so that's, why, that's why we need this, because sometimes we wish it were God talking. Oh, Daniel, you need this new fun thing. Oh, is that you, God? No, it's me. I'm pretending. So, right? So it's really important we make this distinction so that we can hear the voice of God versus our own. But he does speak. It is important. And the last point, I'm not going to use. So there it is. I'm using self-control. So... Um, and so what I'd like to leave you with this morning is a renewed desire and an expectation that God really does expect us to change. We will be transformed. We will not look the same next week as we did last week as we surrender to him. Sometimes we hit these points where it feels like we're not changing, but as we continue to, send, uh, to surrender and wrestle and stuff, there will be a point when that wall comes down and we move forward. But we will always be in some form of transformation if we belong to Jesus and we're surrendering to him. So if we look and our spiritual walk looks exactly the way it did five years ago, either this is a really big wall and it needs to come down, or we need to be surrendering more and allowing him to transform us. Amen? It's a, it's a weighty thing. And so may it be that we would actually look different next week than we did last week. More like Jesus, less like us. So uh, will you stand with me? I think what we'll do is uh, we'll close actually with Sanctuary this morning. And uh, so we're going to sing a song. Um, I'm, I'm going to pray for you. And then we're going to sing a song. This song, I'm not going to give you the words for it. So if you don't know it, that's okay. We'll sing it twice. And, then, and if you still don't know it, We'll sing it next week. So, um, Father God, I thank you that you are in the business of actually changing us. And we as a, as a church family, we as a community welcome you and give you permission to disrupt things in us. We give you permission to remove that wall, that barrier, that boulder that has kept us in the same place. 
God, I ask that you would pull those things aside. Jesus, I ask that you would make yourself very, very, very real to every person in this room right now. That none of us would be in a place of doubt about who you are and that you are. God, I thank you that you bless those who come, who seek you, that there's a reward for those who pursue you. And may that count, may all of us count among those. Father, may your spirit rest heavily upon each person here. May we know it this week. May we become aware like we've never been aware of your complete and perfect ongoing presence. God, I ask that you would gift us with being able to tell the difference between your voice and our own voice. And give us the humility and the courage to say yes to your voice and to lay down our pride and our insistence that we're in control. Jesus, I thank you that when we entrust ourselves to you, anything we give to you is in good hands. In Jesus' name, amen.